All right, we're, we're joined by the man himself, Josh Pate. Uh, you know, this is this is really an honor to have you in here, man. And uh, I hope I, I know you're a smart guy, so I don't think you'll Do take you this. you know that? <laughs> well, just from, one of us does. from watching your shows and everything, I know you won't take this as a slight. But I think you are the biggest college football name on the Internet. And, I mean, the only ones I would even compare you to is maybe Feinbaum and Herb Street. I know you don't take being on the Internet as a slight, do you? No, I, it's a badge of honor. I mean, it's where, it's where the action is today. And as you and I are recording, I mean, there's been huge news in that world this week of someone like a Pat McAfee coming up in the digital media space. Yeah. And even on my show last night, we were, we were kind of talking about this because a lot of people have been asking questions about, hey, what, what's the deal with this Pat McAfee uh, contract that he signed with ESPN? Like, what does that mean for everyone? And, you know, the way I took it is it's validation in a lot of ways that, the game has changed in the world of media. And for a long time, like when you and I grew up, mm-hmm. we knew we had certain places we had to go to get what we wanted. And those were your traditional over the air legacy ESPN, CBS, Fox, etc. type uh, outlets. And it's not that those aren't there. It's not that those still don't still do quality work, but it's such a, it's such a new landscape and there are so many more avenues. There's so many barriers that have been broken down. Overhead's no longer a limitation. Distribution's no longer a limitation because you can do what you want out of anywhere on a device in your hand. And when that happened, it just opened the door for people like me. I was never going to make it in the traditional lane. I, kn- I knew that. And so it's, it's such a blessing that you know, the concept of what we do with Lake Kick, the concept of what you do with this show, it just happens to parallel, happens to coincide with a time in history where the mechanisms are in place for us to be able to do that and where you don't have to be in a multi-million dollar studio. You don't have to have legacy media distribution channels at your fingertips. But if you build something that's worthwhile on that digital media platform, unlike 15 or even 10 or maybe even five years ago when people wouldn't take it seriously, now they look at it and say, that's right up there with what I've been watching my whole life. This isn't just this isn't just, you know, someone in their parents' basement anymore. Like there are mainstream, well-produced, broadcast quality content pieces that are on these platforms. So, yeah, I take it very seriously, but the names you mentioned, you know, the Kirk Herbstreets, the Paul Feinbaums, you come up in our space. Those are guys you grew up on. Those are guys whose names that you have looked at with a certain reverence. And yeah, it's great to get compliments and I never take that stuff for granted. But at the same time, I'm not foolish enough to ignore the fact that without guys like that, like without me growing up in in Harris County, Georgia, listening to WJOX over the internet to get Paul Feinbaum (laughs) in the afternoon, if I wasn't growing up watching Kirk Street on my TV on Saturday mornings, I'm not foolish enough to think I may not have gone and done something else. Like maybe that that fire never would have been lit in me. So there's... A lot to be said for guys who are still at the top of their games, make no mistake, but they also carry the added sort of pin on their lapel of having paved the way to inspire other people, you know, to give people like me the idea that, hey, maybe I can do that. Those guys get to do what they love for a living. Maybe I could do that. Right. Well, and I I think I've told you this before, but I do consider it uh, the highest of compliments when I get this all the time. Josh Pate is my favorite. 
and you're a distant second. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll take it. You know well, what I mean? But, uh, uh, yeah, so I know you did a show with my buddy Ty before, mm-hmm. and I, I listened to that when it came out. And I, I listened back to it this week to just kind of uh, prepare for this. And I don't, I don't want to rehash everything you guys touched on there, but uh, really incredible journey you've had. Uh, and like you said, without Facebook Live, YouTube, you wouldn't have got where you got. But can you... Um, you know, kind of rehash a little bit of that conversation and just how did someone get to your position to where CBS 24-7 Sports it wants you on their team? I had Shannon Terry in here about a month ago. He said, yeah, Pate, I think, I, I think he was doing the weather. I mean, I always thought that was a joke, you chasing tornadoes, but I guess you really do that, did that stuff, huh? Yeah. So I was down in Columbus, Georgia. I mean, I could give you my whole life story and it would take a couple hours, but I mean, suffice it to say, I was wasting a lot of time. I was wasting a chunk of my early 20s. Being in the same position, countless people who are listening to this or watching this have been or maybe are right now. And that is just, you're, you're not so broke that you're backed into a corner, but you're certainly nowhere close to wealthy enough to where you've been born on third base and you don't have to outwork everyone. You're just kind of a tweener. And you've gotten out of high school and yeah, you, maybe you're going through college, but you don't know what you want to do. And I was that way for a long time. If you asked me at 22 years old, who are you? I don't know that I could have answered that. And it took a little while. It took a confluence of different kinds of events and and people sort of smacking sense into me to finally realize, hey, you do have passions somewhere down in you. You do have talent somewhere down in you. You just got to kind of find where that little intersection is and make a career out of it. There's going to be a career there. So that just sounded like motivational speak talk for a long time. Come to find out it's reality, though. So I end up getting in sports talk radio and worked for free for a long time. And finally, much the same way Shannon reached out to me. Before Shannon did, I had a general manager from a TV station down in Columbus reach out. This is out of the blue. Now, he's cold calling me. It goes to voicemail because I don't recognize the number. And it was a guy by the name of Drew Rhodes. He was the general manager at the WLTZ NBC 38 affiliate down there in Columbus. And he said, hey, man, me and my sales GM, we just have this crazy idea. Like, we want to do a college football show on TV every night. What do you think? I listen to you on the radio on the drive home every day. Kind of like what you say. What do you think? So I took it. I'd never been on TV. First time I was ever on TV. First time I was ever in a studio, I was on TV. And so I uh, ended up doing that, ended up parlaying that kind of into being a local sports anchor down there, wasn't qualified for it. Ended up being <laughs> a news anchor, wasn't qualified for it. But all the while, what I came to realize is you start doing that little college football show. And at the time, we just covered Bama, Auburn, and Georgia because that's where we were located in terms of DMA. I start realizing, well, they got me wearing a, a jacket, like a suit jacket here. They got me wearing a tie every night, and it's it's their gig. I'm just I'm just in the driver's seat, so I'm happy and content to do whatever they asked me to. But ultimately, I started to get a vision of what I thought that show could be and what I thought we could grow it to. And you got to remember now, this is about 2013-ish. And there were so many important things that started to happen. First thing is my contract was about to be up. But the second thing is Facebook had this crazy idea that they could take their platform and just add a live streaming component to it. And then YouTube, shortly thereafter, they add a live streaming component. And I see that one day and it's just like, it was the first light bulb moment of my life. Everyone else talks about their light bulb moment. I had never had one. I thought they were lying <laughs> about it. So I finally have my light bulb moment. And so after our newscast, I was anchoring the six o'clock news. After that newscast one day, I just, I undid my tie a little bit. I go in the, I go in the control room. No one's in there. I prop my cell phone up and I just start talking for 20 minutes. And I did that for about a week and management shut it down. And they were every, they were every bit within the right to do it because they said, Hey, we're not paying you. 
to be on our dime, to use our facilities and go into business for yourself. So my contract comes up and they just wanted to renew me as a sports anchor, news anchor. And I said, well, if I can't do in addition what it is I want to do, I'm not going to do it. So we came to an agreement where I just work as an independent contractor for them, still be a news anchor. So the, as far as the public's concerned, nothing changed. I was just going to make a whole lot less money. But the trade-off was they gave me access. Drew Rhodes and the ownership group down there gave me access to their television studio for three nights a week for an hour where I could produce my own show on my own platform. So the very next week we launched what you know is Late Kick now. And we launched an independent YouTube channel. And it took about a year and a half. And I got a call from Shannon Terry one day. And he said, you never met me. I've never met you. Um, but we've been watching some of your stuff. And look, we don't do what you do right now, but I think we can. Will you come here and just keep doing what you're doing, but just do it for us? And that was the golden ticket, you know, because that is 24-7 and then getting in the door of CBS as well. And it's, a, it's just a landmark moment because no one had really made that jump, especially in our college football space. Now, no one had made that jump before. Mm -hmm. No one had been taken seriously enough by major media to be given that opportunity because the age old philosophy is, well, if there's someone good enough, we will have already known about them because we will have developed them in house or they will be already working for a legacy media type. And so, man, like you, you look back at a few names in your life and Drew Rhodes is one of them, Bobby Roblowski before him and Columbus on radio, but Shannon Terry, man, like that's a guy who is visionary to the T uh, you see his picture next to that name in the dictionary when you look it up, and it starts company after company after company. And the thing about winners is they just keep winning. So there's never any doubt whether they're going to succeed. Now, they may have an individual little test pilot that fails every now and then, but the direction they're going is always going to be a sound direction. And I knew that because I had been a subscriber to his website for a long time. I had been a customer of his for a long time, and, and so I knew the product and the vision was sound, and I know everything I need to know about CBS in terms of distribution and in terms of production quality. So we came here in 2020, like five minutes before COVID happens. We come here and we launch Late Kick, and it's, it's just scaled ever since uh, because the concept was sound, and now you've got the backing that, truthfully, I never really knew that I would have. I always thought I'd always have to raise the money. I'd always have to go get some new capital. Right. But the one other thing that was happening, and I don't know if you experienced this like I did, but you know, if you grew up a hardcore college football fan, once upon a time, you could find what you wanted. Like You could get that shot in the arm you needed. Even from some national media, you could get it. Now, it wasn't as plentiful as I would have liked, but you could get it. I don't I, Actually, I do know what happened, but I don't want to go down that road. But around the middle of the 20 teens, a lot of entities that had provided that kind of content veered off down a road they had no business going down. Right, right. And they stopped providing the kind of content that you and I crave and so many people who are in our respective audiences crave. And it, so, so you had the technology come of age. At the same time, you had other traditional media abandon their audience. So you had the need all of a sudden pop up. And you had the means to deliver it to them all of a sudden pop up. And so you're talking about a perfect storm. And then you add on top of that, that I've got an opportunity in a TV studio down in Columbus. Then I've got an opportunity with Shannon Terry and the 24-7 CBS. Um, not all of that's in my control. You know, a lot of that's just being blessed, folks looking out for you, folks giving you an opportunity. But the thing about it is it'll eventually happen. Like if you grind long enough, if you're doing good work, it'll eventually happen. But it may not happen twice. So you got to jump on it and grab it by the throat when it does come your way.
And I thought uh, from that com- conversation with Ty, once again, last time I'll reference it, I don't want to just rehash that, but oh, I thought one of the best things you said, uh, I think you said Jeb in Alabama. If if Jeb does not know who late kick Josh Pate is, that's that's not on Jeb. That's on me. Mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta find these people. How do you go about that? What advice would you give to people to 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 get their show a wider audience? It's a good question. So the advice is, shut up and just listen, and make sure you're out in your community or out in public. Don't go and wall yourself off from people. So the best feedback that I get is when I go on the road every Saturday in the fall and you just you put yourself in the middle of thousands of people who are your core audience. And here's what else helps. That is me. That's how I grew up. Like I grew up scrounging for money to purchase tickets to go to games. Speaking of fine bomb, I, I still remember this. I still remember in 2008 and 9 when we had those Bama Florida SEC championship game matchups. And I knew I couldn't afford tickets. I'm just looking for every possible method to be able to get in the building because I knew how historic that was. It's, it's Saban Meyer. It's Tebow in his, in his junior and senior years. And I remember uh, at the time, I like just sent cold emails to every media member I could get an address for. And Feinbaum was one of them. And I said, I'll just do whatever. I'll just do whatever. And I doubt that that ever made it to his uh, desktop. But that was me. Like So I know that life. Mm-hmm. I, I know the life of... Not sitting in a corporate suite, but just wanting to get in the 300 levels. And I don't care if it's row 48, just get me in there. If you know that person, you know your audience. And you also understand, therefore, how to finish their sentences for them. You understand, even if you host a solo show, you understand that as you're talking, you can picture them as vividly as I can see you right now. I can picture a random audience member. I always add alliteration. So Jed from Jessup, Alabama, (laughs) or Gary from Gainesville, Florida. But they're just sitting across the table from me. I'm hosting a show and we're in a studio 14 floors above like Commerce Street in downtown Nashville, but we might as well be sitting at a barbecue joint in rural Georgia because that's exactly how you should be disseminating your message to your audience as if they're just sitting right there. And if you know them, it's very easy to do. Mm-hmm. And you speak about uh, going on the road. I mean, that, that must be incredible that you actually get paid to do that now, given what you just said. But uh, could you ever have imagined that, uh, or, or would that even be possible without you joining 24-7 CBS? Did that, how, basically, what I'm asking you is what kind of crazy doors did that open to you? Uh, unlimited. Yeah. What more would you want in a dream scenario? So if you're me, if you're if you're down growing up in Georgia... And you love college football and you just you're looking skeptically from the outside thinking, well, I'll never be able to get in that world for a living. I'll have to like work in a fabric warehouse for a living like I did. I'll just have to do manual labor for the rest of my life. And this is the kind of stuff I'll think about to pass the time. And this is the kind of stuff I'll look forward to in the fall. But I mean, I'll be watching it on TV with the rest of my buddies. If you were to ask me at the time, what would your dream life be? Forget reality. Paint your dream life. You would put a microphone in front of me and you would let me talk about it for six days out of the week. And then on the seventh day, you would have all expense paid opportunity to pick any game in the country that you want to go to. And you go there and you stand on the sideline and maybe even talk to coaches the night before. And so you're very familiar with the staffs and you're given open access to the programs. And then you come back and you talk about what you experienced and then you rinse and repeat it the next week. And they don't make you talk about NBA after the season's over. You don't have to talk about Major League Baseball. You don't have to talk about the NFL if you don't want to. You just talk college football all year. There's no string attached. There's no but at the end of the sentence. That would be 
that would be something that I would like cut off an appendage. I would cut off <laughs> fingers to be able to do once upon a time. And now not only do we do it, like we get compensated handsomely for it. Like we get put in a position that's beyond your wildest dreams. Some people dream about winning the lottery. I'd rather do what I do now than win the lottery because even winning the lottery could not buy you all things equal the kind of access and, and blessed opportunities that we have with our show. It's, it's, it's like, it's beyond amazing. Amazing is uh, the sunset that we saw last night in Nashville. Like that was pretty amazing. This right here is beyond amazing because it does not happen nearly as frequently as those sunsets. <laughs> I can promise you. So you get to essentially be the sole decider of, of where you go each week during yeah. the season. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, then CBS will put production behind it and they'll send someone on the road. And what helps, obviously, look, there's a big responsibility because once you get to a certain cruising altitude, the margins get thinner, the responsibility is heavier, but also the lift is so much, so much easier because you can get advertising dollars behind it. And at that point, I mean, if you get advertising dollars behind an idea, well, it's easy to say yes to it at that point. So we don't, I don't struggle to get things approved anymore. And, and really, I haven't ever since I've been at this level. But yeah, man, like when you get when you get your brand recognized and, and you got good people working to get the brand recognized, which is happening over in our building, even as I sit here with you. Yeah, we get to we get to just call our shot every week now. And they've never it sounds like they've never messed with your show and the content or, or made you talk about X, Y, Z or anything like that. Not a single time. Um, that's you know, that's been one of the one of the big talking points in our world this week yeah has been the McAfee deal mm-hmm. and has been him going to ESPN and everyone freaked out oh they're going to change his show and he's repeatedly said well I have negotiated creative control into my show and there are people who are just calling BS on it which is whatever um, but I I know what it's meant for me because I have it in my contract with 24/7 CBS. And to this day, they've been true to it. They've never stepped in. They have never so much as even texted me or called me and said, hey, if you don't mind, would you do this? Now, part of that is you got to have enough instinct to put together a good enough show where they don't really even have the desire to do that. But the other part is what we do works. Like, I think what we do works, and it all goes back to the philosophy of knowing your audience. If you know the audience, no one knows how to give the audience what they're looking for more than one of them. And that's not just a talking point I use in sales demos. Like that is actually the core philosophy of our show. And so, yeah, um, I don't know how it's going to work out with, with Pat and ESPN. I, I can assume if it doesn't work out exactly how he wants it, he'll have no problem hitting the dump button on it. Right. But as for us, yeah, we've never had an ounce of interference to the opposite. We've had full support. And frankly, we've had support on some ideas that I could tell management didn't even fully grasp or they weren't fully behind. But there's a little bit of a blind trust factor even that we have now. And I know enough not to take that for granted. Well, they'd be fools to change it, but we know there's a lot of, not at CBS, but there's a lot of fools out there. Well, you hear a lot of stories. I mean, we, so we go on the road every week and, and there's a chance to, to intermingle and, and converse with a lot of your friends that you've developed who are working at other places. And I'll tell you, one of the things that's taken me by surprise is talking to people at really, really big places some of whom you've watched for a while before you ever, before anyone ever knew my name. Mm-hmm. And um, to have them say they're envious of the position that you're in all of a sudden because you do have some of the freedoms that they don't even have. Now that I never anticipated because maybe I was naive enough to think more people had that freedom than actually do. 
And so because of that and hearing the horror stories, relatively speaking, okay, these are still like first world problems, but hearing some of the stories and, you know, some of the mess that other folks have to deal with, it's, it's such a blessing. When you wake up in the morning and you don't have like four constant concerns that are out of your control on the forefront of your mind every day, that's a big blessing. Now, going back to going on the road, um, I'm just curious, what are, what's the best environments that you have personally witnessed? So I'm not sitting here asking you to be like, rank the, the best atmosphere, the best home field in, in college football. I, I'm, this is more subjective. One, games you've actually been at, and I'll let you even cheat, best actual game day atmosphere you know, for the, on Saturday, and maybe the best Friday pregame atmosphere leading up to a game so you could pick two different ones which which two stand out to you when i ask you that question you ever been at lsu when they play alabama no <laughs> okay so lsu when they play alabama i think it's unlike anything else that i've experienced the closest thing still involves bama but last year when bama went into tennessee mm-hmm. and certainly afterwards but leading up the build-up it had that big game build-up i tell people this all the time and some folks don't believe me you can include the big 10 in this too you go to Ohio State, Michigan. You go to a Penn State whiteout game. You go to a few different games in the SEC. The buildups to those games are above and beyond what you experience at a playoff game or a national title game. That doesn't sound right. It doesn't compute to people who are pro sports fans. And nor should it because that doesn't exist anywhere else. The regular season environment's superseding and overdoing what you get in the postseason. So I would say... Uh, a few different Bama LSU games, like that 2019 game in Tuscaloosa. I just watched it last night in the office. I was there till like midnight because I had nothing better to do. And so I was watching that. That was absolutely crazy. Everybody was there three hours early because the president was there. So Secret Service is there. So you get warned. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to shut the city down at some point. You got to get there early. So I, I will never forget the teams come out for warm-ups, and there are 85,000 people in the stands already <laughs> because you, you either had to get in before or you, you're going to miss the entire first quarter. Right. But also, I'll tell you what I, what I was kind of slapped in the face by was OU Texas the first time I went two years ago because, like I said, I grew up in Georgia. So I always thought people were hyping that game up a little bit too much. I think to myself, well, it's, it's on the premises of a state fair. Like It sounds more lovey-dovey, sort of fun-loving atmosphere. It sounds like a, you know, like a kid's field day at elementary school than one of those nasty, like, hardcore blood and guts environments of the SEC. And then I went, and it was crazy. It's the, my favorite atmosphere I've ever experienced, above and beyond even what we're talking about in the SEC. I think it's because, number one, it was the highest-scoring game in the series history when I was there. Uh, Texas comes back from, like, 28-10 down. Uh, also, there's like some form of artillery fire for every score. You've either got those like those guns that OU shoots off, you got a cannon that Texas <laughs> shoots off. So you feel like you've been, you've watched like a, a Fast and Furious movie, but you've actually been on the set of it. And you, you smell, what's, what's so funny is afterwards, after it's emptied out, the smell of the gun smoke lingers in the venue. So you've got the smell of popcorn and various forms of drink, and then you got gun smoke. <laughs> it's a very vivid combination of folks that never smelled all that put together. I don't know where else you would experience that. But uh, that was big. And then I went up to Oregon last year, and I'd never been to Oregon before. And it was a UCLA game. So you probably, in reality, we got to see Oregon at like an 8 on the 1 to 10 scale. But this year, if you look at that Pac-12 schedule, USC comes in there late in the year. And I would imagine if both of those teams are still vying for Pac-12 or you know, even certainly playoff um, 
access, I would imagine that would be a really big one. But, man, that whiteout game at Penn State also, I mentioned that a second ago, they're not lying about that. Like, I grew up in the SEC, and I will tout the SEC eight days out of the week, but there are places out there. Penn State, whiteout's one of them where if you don't want to agree with me that it supersedes or exceeds the SEC, okay, but it matches it. It absolutely matches it, so... You, but you can go to a random Auburn game on, a, on like, a Saturday night. Right, right. And South Carolina on a Saturday night, afternoon. There's so many places that over-deliver because there's so many good ones in the SEC. Some of them get overlooked, and they shouldn't get overlooked. I mean, I think if I parked Auburn over in the ACC, uh, it would be measured right up there with Clemson for the best in the conference. But in the SEC, it just kind of gets painted over for some reason. And ask Bama or Georgia. In a rivalry year, when they have to go into Jordan-Hare, both of which have to happen this year, Ask them how easy it is playing in there. <laughs> yeah, to your point, I went up to Eugene when Tennessee played up there, and I know it's not the biggest stadium, but I swear, I think it's the loudest I've ever been, it, it, the, the way they've constructed it. But uh, those fans were also very nice, I think, because they won like 66-3. to They they were not nice pregame, postgame. They were fine with me. But uh, let me ask you about Texas and Oklahoma because you referenced them. Coming to the SEC, I cannot wait for that. Uh, it's, it, to me, it makes – legitimately the first super conference i think it's going to be great for the sec i'm, I'm curious to hear what you think and, and do you think it's good for college football because i i can certainly see where that's not good for college football but i think it will be good for the sec well it's good for the sec no i don't think it's good for college football i don't think that a lot of what's going on right now in terms of realignment is good for college football now right it's it sort of is what it is so it's a waste of time to to just gnash your teeth over it but, no, I don't think it's good for college football, but since it is happening, and I can't do anything about it, it's like playoff expansion. It is happening. You can't do anything about it, so you're left to react to it. In terms of reaction, it's going to be wild. It's the same way with Southern Cal and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Like, can you imagine Texas at Tennessee on the same day as Florida is at Oklahoma, on the same day that USC is playing a conference game in Columbus, Ohio? That stuff's wild <laughs> to think about. Because that's bowl game stuff that you would normally see at a neutral site. And all of a sudden, it's happening on a random Saturday. Now, the viewer who may be new to the game may listen to me and say, well, you, you said this was a bad thing. This all sounds good. It's a bad thing at the expense of a large chunk of the rest of the sport. That's where the bad creeps in the picture. But if you don't really care about any of the G5 teams, if you don't care about the Washington states of the world or the Boston colleges of the world or whatever, then all of a sudden, yeah, if you just, if you just want seven or eight premier games on a Saturday, uh, rest of the sport be damned, yeah, it's for you. I'm not of that opinion, uh, so I'm on the other side of that fence. But with Texas and OU, like I was, I was talking to our buddy Connor O'Gara the other day, and we were talking about this very thing. And I said, have you noticed this, this drumbeat from around the SEC of all these fans warning Texas and OU about how much trouble they're going to be in when they get here? And it's like, if you're a Georgia fan, I get it. Because you got the platform to talk right now. Bama's had the platform to talk for a long time. LSU's got the platform to talk, etc. But, man, all due respect. Like, if I'm a South Carolina fan, or right now if I'm a Florida fan, or if I'm a Kentucky or Missouri fan, there, there's just as good, if not better, a chance that when OU and Texas come in this conference, if we're looking at, what, 16 rungs on a ladder, their rungs may be above mine when they get here. So I've, I've been sitting here beating my chest, warning these folks, thinking the SEC sticker is what matters. No, no, your team's sticker is what matters. And if that sticker is not as good as their sticker, then 
the net result is you just got bumped a couple of rungs down the ladder and you just got a couple of more losses added onto your future schedules. What did you really gain? Well, Josh, we gained a lot of money. Like the media rights deal is huge. That's great. Have you ever seen any of that money? Okay, no one's delivered a check from the league office to me either, nor have they to anyone watching this right now. And yet, the folks who sort of run things, the folks who have their hands on the wheel, they are so thorough in their approach, and they're so methodical in the mechanisms they use to get their messaging out, they've actually fooled people. They've gotten people so drunk into the SEC Kool-Aid and the Big Ten Kool-Aid that they get fans to brag about TV ratings. They get fans to brag about the dollar amount on a media rights deal, none of which means a dime's difference to you at the end of the week. Your paycheck's the same as it's always been. They have deeper pockets. You won't from these deals, but yet you do their bidding for them. I'm not, I'm talking not about you, but in general, people out there do their bidding for them. And I don't uh, because that's not my interest. That's their interest. My interest is the greater good of the entire game. And I don't necessarily know if that's being served, but whatever. Right. And I've picked this up from you. I believe this is your quote. The people that uh, are making these decisions, are they doing it with college football interest? Or are they doing it with financial interest? You know, uh, and, and I think it's clear as day they're they're not doing it in college football's interest. They're doing it in financial interest. And I'll, I'll give you an example. And you know, I, I realize Tennessee. You know, they're on the rise. There's money going to come from that. But my best friend, he's he's been a season ticket holder since we graduated ten plus years ago. He said the day after they beat Florida this year, hey, renew your season tickets. Oh yeah, at a twenty percent increase. And I again, I understand you win. Things cost more. But did they give them 20% when Florida was kicking their teeth in for 10 years? Did they give them 20% discount when Alabama would come in there and choose their score? And kneel? No, of course not. So I, I wonder if we're pricing out the, the average fan. And, and we may make more money today, but he's going to stop bringing his kids to the game because he can't afford it. And those, those are kids that are going to not love Tennessee football, that are not going to want to go to Tennessee to be the next generation of season ticket holders. And I think that's a real problem with our sport that, uh, that I know you address, but I don't think enough people are, are paying attention to. Well, it takes a little vision to address it. Um, in our world, you've got to have the freedom to address it. Let's just be real. A lot of people are employed right. by <laughs> entities that it makes it not in their best interest to speak up. But what you're talking about is not unique to society. It may be unique to our world. Once upon a time, this happened with NASCAR. Once upon a time, it happened with pro wrestling, uh, both of which are things I grew up watching and don't anymore for the very reason we're talking about right now. Now, I find it hard to believe I would ever fully abandon college football. I mean, that would be a long way down the road and a ton of bombs would have to go off for that to happen. But what you're talking about, you had Shannon Terry in here a couple of weeks ago. And one of the quotes I always used to hear out of his mouth when I first moved up here is, we can't be penny wise, pound foolish. We cannot sacrifice long-term sustainability for short-term profitability. And it takes someone smarter than the room, or at least more instinctive than the room and forward thinking than the room to consider that. Because there's a difference in what you can do and what you should do. Right now, the college football powers that be, the people who have their hands on the wheel to a large enough degree are of the opinion that sacrificing certain aspects of tradition, certain aspects of authenticity, etc., about our sport are worth it to add another zero onto the check that they're being handed from television networks and media partners. It's hard to sit here and push back on it from a powerless position 
because what, what, what authority do we really have, right? But at the end of the day, fans do have the ultimate authority. Your viewership's the authority. Like your viewership is the reason why any of that value exists in the first place. We're in the entertainment business. College football is the entertainment business. It's not the football business. Because if it was the football business, then it would just be a sport like any other sport. And so it would be as valuable as lacrosse or baseball or, or whatever. Football's more valuable a property because more people care about it because it entertains them. They're not watching for educational value. They're watching for entertainment value. And so in the entertainment world, you have entertainment brokers, people who came up in the entertainment industry who view it no different than a Netflix series. And let's, let's cut every cost corner we can, but let's also squeeze every distribution dollar we possibly can. And you know what? I mean, if we have to sacrifice the integrity of a character in this show because a certain advertiser didn't like it, so be it. Who cares? At the end of the day, it's about how much money we make. Well, then you and I who have watched that show for the first two seasons look at it in season three and say, we don't really recognize this anymore. I'm doing this with Ted Lasso right now. I stopped watching the show. <laughs> like the, the last season, I made it to the last season. Stop watching the show because I think the show sucks this season. And I'm not saying that that's an apples to apples comparison, but what I am saying is you can learn or you can condition yourself to take your audience to grant it to such a degree that you end up thinking, well, they'll always be there. It's an age old problem. Taking people for granted has happened since the dawn of mankind. It's just that for some reason, people still have to learn lessons the hard way. I, I have never touched a hot stovetop. Never had to learn the lesson because I have seen someone else do it and I saw the pain and I knew that I don't want to experience that. But yet you have people that are, that are so blinded, forest for the trees, etc., in our world right now, or either they just don't care because they'll be gone by the time the thing or portions of it kind of burn to the ground, that they do need to touch the stove and they do need to get burned. And the collateral damage there is obvious and pretty scary because I don't really see anything else out there I want to do for a living. Now, I know that sounds very dire, and I certainly don't think the sport's about to head off a cliff tomorrow or anything like that, but the way you ensure it doesn't happen is you need to speak up as loudly as you possibly can when you first start to approach the slippery slope because there's a reason they call it a slippery slope, and that is once you actually get down it, you can't get back up. That's not the time to sound the alarm bell. The time to sound the alarm bell is yesterday. That's the, that's the right time to do it. I have touched a hot stove. I was trying to get brownies when I was a little kid and burn my... That was the last time Is I there did. still a scar? You still got a scar? <laughs> I don't think so, but... Huh. Oh, I, I had one for a good while. Uh, let, me, let me try to get you in trouble here real quick. Who wins an SEC championship first? Texas or Texas A&M? Uh, I think Texas is in a better position. Do you? Yeah, but I think they... Couldn't we have said A&M this time last year? Probably so, Yeah. So, I mean, I still, it I, changes quickly, or it can. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we play these seasons in 12-game increments. Right. And so we don't play 162 of them. You don't get to have big ebbs and flow. You don't get to have streaks in this sport. And uh, the trade-off is you have a lot more physical control over a game. It's not as technical as baseball is. You, you can't get cold shooting like you do in basketball. You get to grab a guy. You get to physically impose your will. And so if you have bigger, faster, stronger players, you should never have cold streaks. It should never be, a game should never be put in that questionable a position in the fourth quarter if you've got that physical, a superior advantage. Texas A&M should have been able to do that last year. They should have been able to do it the last few years, and they haven't been. I thought even going into last year, I just continued to believe and believe and believe because, I mean, by and large, that philosophy will pay off for you. More times than not, if you apply that logic 
to a roster like theirs, you'll look smart. Well, I looked stupid with them last year because I thought they would be a good team, and they just weren't. They were very, very bad. Missed a bowl game. Like, that's crazy. With Texas, you could end up in the same boat. I look at them. I think they have massively fortified their lines of scrimmage. You can't go wrong with the way they're acquiring quarterbacks, even if they were to have, God forbid, a season-ending injury to their frontline quarterback right now. They got one more immediately ready in Murphy, who half the SEC wanted to transfer. And then long-term, you got Arch Manning there, and they'll just keep acquiring quarterback talent. Receiver's never going to be a problem for them. Uh, defense, we'll see. Like, we'll see because I, I don't want to go down the road I did with AM last year and just blindly assume, but I think they've made very positive personnel and staff moves on that side of the ball to where they're just, it's not that I doubt Oklahoma. Texas is just a, a step further down the road than Oklahoma is right now. Uh, that could also change in a year. But if I had to pick right now, I'd say Texas, because the thing about it is I, I don't know that there are offensive minds in the country I have more respect for than Steve Sarkeesian. Even today, I have I have a feeling that the 2020 season he had with Alabama is the best called season I've ever seen from a coordinator. Yeah, he had all the pieces in the world, but there have been folks with talent at their disposal before. I've never seen the assassin-type level of of precision and execution as they had that year. It was, it was amazing. So he didn't forget how to do that stuff. He's got to get the pieces, and he's got a bunch of them now. And, I, man, like A.D. Mitchell's on that team. Mm-hmm. He just gets <laughs> lost in the shuffle. The, the Isaiah Nayer kid from Wyoming just gets lost in the shuffle. Jordan Whittington is still there. He's like the Sean Clifford of tight ends or wide receivers. He's still there. I think they could be really good this year. Like, I think they could change minds for the positive this year. And it was about this time last year, Jimbo went on his epic rant, and we were all, you know, consumed by that because I've never seen anything like that. In short, in, in blue jeans, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And Saban went back with him. Do you think that's the best thing that could have happened to Kirby Smart? Because no one, hell, they were defending champs. No one gave an iota about Georgia for the entire summer, and look what they just did. I started to pick up on that around July that I hadn't even talked about Georgia a lot. And, you know, if you were to, if you were to tell me in 2015, hey, you're about to go do what I'm doing for a living, and eventually Georgia's going to win a national title for the first time in something like 40 years, what do you think the following spring is going to sound like? And I would have told you it'll just be loaded with Georgia wall-to-wall. And it wasn't. And one of the reasons, I think, is because of what you just talked about. Because not just that was happening, but also the conference realignment stuff was happening. The NIL and transfer portal stuff was a story beyond just Saban and Fisher. They were the poster children for it. But it was a huge, like, multiple earthquake scenario for college football. To the point where no one really cared about stuff on the field. And I hate when the sport's in that position, but it was in that position. Kind of is right now, too. And so you had that happen. Then also, he lost so many guys to the NFL that I think they were really able to hammer home the point that no one here has earned anything. The dudes who won the 2021 title, by and large, they're gone. And you were never going to have complacency at quarterback because, I mean, Stetson Bennett's had to fight his whole life anyway. So he was, I don't think he was ever going to get complacent. Uh, you, had so, you didn't have star players returning. Who were the star players? Like, even after they won a title. If I were to ask the normal college football fan, Name the star players on Georgia. They could have told you the quarterback's name. But going into last year, they couldn't have told you anyone else on that team hardly. And that's a big deal. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think about three or four things that happened last year were in the best interest of Kirby Smart. 
And I would be remiss if I didn't remind you it's kind of happening again. They lost some guys to the draft again, and now you do have a new quarterback. And so you get to sell that whole that whole theory of the unknown and, and theater of the unknown, if you will, to your locker room. But also, ton of stuff going on off the field again. Mm-hmm. And, and folks are more focused on Bama right now than they are Georgia again. Because the bigger story is, well, is Bama fading permanently, which is its own discussion, but is Bama fading permanently? And Georgia's got to be, well, Kirby's got to be smiling. But Georgia folks have got to be over there like, are we still doing this? Okay. If that's the way you want it again, we'll take three. That's fine. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Who is the next SEC program to win a national championship that's not Georgia, that's not Alabama, that's not LSU? That's not LSU. And you can include Texas and Oklahoma in this if you'd like. It's not L- now. How come I don't get to say LSU? Well, because it, it, it seems like destiny that they're yeah. going to win one under Brian Kelly. You see me wanting to say Tennessee, like you, <laughs> you, you feel that. I've got a. I was hoping you did. <laughs> I think I will go Tennessee. Um, defense. So the the thing that gives me pause. Well, there's a little bit of unknown still. You want to see long term sustainability from Heupel, right? But you can't get that until you get it. I mean, the calendar can't hit fast forward so mm-hmm. the reason that i i have a little bit of hesitation is they just recruited defensively a lot better this last yeah. cycle mm-hmm. you would want to see those classes stack on top of each other and if if we were to get that this year and also if we were to get the kind of joe milton that we got in the bowl game i know that's common sense like you got to have good quarterback play but there's this other underlying theme that's happening with tennessee right now that i'm picking up on a lot i'm assuming you hear this too so during the season last year Anyone who was a Tennessee hater, they were quick to tell you, yeah, Hendon Hooker's having a big year. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt came out of nowhere. But those are system guys. It's just a product of the system. Well, okay. Reasonable minds can disagree. Or maybe it's a little bit of both. But anyway, we got to the draft. And then we get past the draft and we get to the spring game. And now it's preview magazine season. And those same people who said last year was a product of their system over the players they're telling me, well, they lost too many players. Now they can't win this year. And I'm like, well, is it the players or the system? Like, what is it? And you get people to just wrap themselves in intellectual pretzels trying to explain the fact that I just don't like Tennessee. That's really what I'm trying to tell you. I don't like <laughs> Tennessee. Well, just say that. It's a whole lot easier. But I'll tell you this. Um, I think that's also an outfit out there that doesn't mind you doubting them either. Because they got used to being doubted rightfully so for a long time. And I don't think they're in any rush to be on the cover of every magazine. I don't think they're on the rush to be on the cover of every thumbnail. They're happy to, to wait their turn because they know Saturday's coming. Like, it doesn't matter who picks them and who doesn't pick them. This goes for anyone. As long as Saturday's coming, as long as we're not arguing 2023 Tennessee versus 2008 Florida, that's hypothetical. That's nonsense. You never get to see it. As long as you're arguing 2023 Tennessee against 2023 Georgia and they got to come to Neyland, it doesn't matter who you pick ahead of time. And I, I get that sense. That's the vibe I get from Tennessee. And is any of that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they seem to be very forward-thinking when it comes to NIL. And not only that, but elite fan base, home field advantage. Um, you mentioned the Alabama game. Uh, last time I was at Neyland was that Ole Miss game, Heupel's first year. I believe you were there as yep. well. And But even when the team's not that good, I mean, these fans were showing up and creating. And I know – Everybody from that Ole Miss game, they just focus on throwing the stuff on the field, which I don't condone. But aside from that, I mean, that that was just an incredible, incredible atmosphere. And again, they're, they're rooting on a seven-win team just going bananas. You got to understand with Tennessee, the point you just made is really valid, um, and it's something I've noticed about them for a long time. 
it's kind of like, you know, we have like arguments about free speech in America all the time. And what's funny is anyone can, can condone free speech when you're saying something they agree with. The measure of a man's adherence to free speech is how much he'll stand up to defend someone saying something he disagrees with. Well, with Tennessee, I look at their fan base. Anybody can show up when you're winning. That is the easiest thing to do outside of like Stanford. Everybody shows up when you win. So, yeah, they pack Neyland when they win. But you need to hit the rewind button, like you just said, to the Butch Jones era or the Derek Dooley era. They were showing up when they were losing, too. And those folks were just as passionate when they were losing. And they were buying the merch and they were buying the tickets and they were calling the shows and they were wearing their orange when they were losing. And that's why, you know, even though I didn't grow up a Tennessee fan per se, I always looked at that fan base and I, I always wished good for them. Like, I'm so happy last year happened because I don't think there's a fan base in America at the high end that was starving for longer that deserved it more than Tennessee because they never bailed. It would be so easy to bail. And they never bailed. And they deserve credit for it. Do you have, does anyone come to your mind when you think of an, uh, a dark horse to, I know it's not realistic, but to win the SEC this year, that's not Georgia, not Tennessee, not Alabama, and not LSU. Is, is there, who would, you know, star, stars align, something crazy happens, maybe just the top contender to, to do such a thing? Um, man, if you take those teams off the table, so A&M could be one, only because they have the requisite talent roster. They would have to go from not making a bowl game to winning the SEC, which is fairly unprecedented, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm really interested to see what Auburn does, only because they're over under win total seven, and that's up from six and a half. But they've they've put together the equivalent of a starting offense in the portal. I'm not saying all those guys will start, but they have signed as of the time you and I are talking. They've signed 19 guys out of the portal. They've lost 20. And 10 of those 19 are four-star rated players, at least per 24-7 sports. And that's the most of any team in the country. So there's been a ton of shine on Colorado and Southern Cal again. Auburn's got more high-quality players than either one of them did. And so that's a quarterback included. And I was, I was watching in 2021 when Peyton Thorne and Michigan State did what they did. I was also watching last year when they were terrible. They were terrible because they couldn't run the ball. And their quarterback was banged up. So if you give me a healthy Peyton Thorne, and you give me an Auburn football team that can run the foot. Hugh Freeze is going to run the football. And so if you can do that, and they got, a, they got a receiver from North Texas the other day that led the country in yards per catch last year. So there are some pieces they're plugging in there that are going to be immediate additions, and, and, and they're going to help. They get a couple of big games at home. Now the games are Georgia and Alabama, so they shouldn't win the games. But you and I have watched Auburn totally dive bomb people before. It's the spirit of that program. When the least is expected, the craziest stuff happens. So, I mean, if you eliminate all the good teams and the teams that things are expected of, I guess A&M and Auburn would be the, the two that I look at. And I'm not touting Missouri either, but Missouri had four one-possession losses in conference play last year and went and got the Fresno State offensive coordinator, and they led them out west in, I think, points per game last year, if not yards per game. So uh, there's some interesting moves that are being made. Think about how much of the conference is relying on a transfer quarterback. Florida is, Tennessee is, Kentucky is, uh, Alabama probably is. You've got uh, who, Ole Miss. I mean, Auburn, Auburn, we just talked about, as Ole Miss is. So it's it's this like the new college football to where uh, South Carolina is. So you're, you're kind of, I guess Tennessee is. It's just been a couple of years. So you're kind of surprised when a guy 
is cultivated and developed in the program now. Yeah. Well, everybody that's been coming in here, I've been asking them, and I, I think you would, would be a great person to ask this as well, because in a couple of weeks we'll have media days here in Nashville for the first time ever. Uh, can you share anything? Have you heard anything? Are they going to, because I know when they were planning to do it before, before COVID hit, they were going to do like a whole fan event. Do you know if anything like that is taking place? Hmm. I, I don't, actually. Um, to Nobody be honest, does, it snuck up on me a little bit. So I don't, I don't know. I do know that it's really nice to be able to sleep in my own bed when Media Days is happening. Because that is an event that, while it has its fun parts, and it's fun to always reconnect with folks, and obviously you get the players and the coaches, mm-hmm. they do it four days down here. I mean, that's a, that's a week yeah. that you're on the road for, and that's better than actually working for a living, obviously. But we, I could walk. From our studio, I can walk two blocks and get to the Grand Hyatt. So that's that is such. I petition for this to be a permanent thing. I will tell you that. Well, and back to uh, you know all the benefits of, of joining twenty four seven CBS. I mean, you get one on one with these guys, unlike anybody else. So, I mean, that must be just blows blows your mind from five ten years ago that that, that yeah. is a reality. Okay, so so I told this story before. Um, the most embarrassing moment of my life. Personal or professional, I wet I wet my pants in first grade one time, and it was a teacher that kind of sabotaged me. So aside from that, the most embarrassed I've ever been is uh, Claude Felton, who's been at Georgia since like the the Truman administration. He comes to me and and he says, "Would you like Kirby to just come on the show, come on Late Kick, and in addition to what he's going to do with CBS?" And I said, "He'll do- yes, absolutely. I'll I'll be here whatever time you want me to be here." So he said, "Well, let's just do it before." Kirby goes to the main stage in the morning. So that would have been about 7.45 Eastern time. So the All-Star game was that night. The previous night was the Major League Baseball All-Star game. So we're, we're in Atlanta, and I go up to my hotel room, and I turn on the All-Star game. I just fell asleep watching the game before I set my alarm clock. So I wake up the next morning. I had 26 missed calls, and I woke up due to the vibration of the phone, which, of course, was on silent. I'm telling you everything not to do. And it was... <laughs> downstairs and it was my producer and they were frantic hey Kirby's already come he's already gone what's happening what's happening and I've never felt a sense of dread like that because I got my entire crew out of bed an hour early to get down there and get set up you've got an SEC head coach who won a national title 30 minutes ago he's coming to the building early with with his entire entourage and you're the one who no shows and so I I mean I'm talking about like I felt two inches tall and you got to go about the rest of the day so no, if I was Kirby Smart, I'd never talk to me again. Well, he's a better man than me. So about a two or three hour period later, they're supposed to come in to our room. And he popped in there before, about an hour afterwards. He pops in there. And I mean, he said some things he should have said to me. And he ragged me in a way he should have ragged me. <laughs> but the dude came back and did the show, which I never would have done. Right. And so I'm saying all that to say, that's what happens when you get thrown off your routine. And so when you can sleep in your own bed, I will not sleep through my alarm in my own bed. But yeah, it's, it's nice to have all the coaches come to you. Um, it's also, it's nice to talk to their people. That's, that's the underrated aspect is you get access to the head coach and you get to say hello and meet the players that they brought there. But also it's just nice to, to re-familiarize yourself with the folks from LSU and the folks from Arkansas. Cause man, there are very few people I don't like in this conference they're all great people. Like they're all doing the same job, but everybody is on the same page. It's like a freight train with a hundred cars going the same direction. And I just, I love watching it. The operational aspect 
uh, the logistical aspect of what it takes both in media days and then during the season to take a college football team on the road. It's so amazing to watch the mechanisms and how many people are in place. It's like kicking over an ant bed. There are a million people running a million different directions so that you can see what you see on the field on Saturdays. And boy, those, those people never get the credit they deserve. And I say their names a lot of times and no one even knows their names, but they deserve all the credit in the world. All right, final thing for you, Josh. Really appreciate your time. I basically just wanted to get you in here to ask you this. You find out, you, li- you live next door to your best friend in the world, you, but you find out wh- three things about him. Oh, boy. And I'm wondering what would disturb you more. He never returns his cart at the shopping center. He refuses to do it. His daughter's getting married, and, and it's going to be a fall wedding, probably the third Saturday of October, something, and is demanding that you attend, or he's a serial killer. Which, which one would bother you the most? I could clearly work with serial killer. Yeah. So that's a distant third. We can work around that. I mean, Hoops Amongst Us doesn't have flaws. The, I even think the daughter getting married in the fall, I have an out for. Because try as you might, I have an ironclad excuse. I have to work that day. No matter what Saturday it is, which is really the biggest perk of my job. Never have to go to Saturday weddings in the fall, which yep. are the single blight on our society that needs to be eradicated the most. But if you don't return shopping carts, you're subhuman, like you're garbage. You don't deserve to breathe the same air as the rest of us. They kept Guantanamo open, in my opinion, so that they could have that as an option. So that when the right president finally comes along, the first executive order is that's where you're going if you don't return your grocery cart. I is this my? I cannot, in strong enough terms, tell you how much disdain I have for you and how little respect I have for you as a human being. In what is supposed to be a functional society, if you don't return shopping carts. And it's an epidemic. It happens all the time. And I think it's only getting worse. Like Cartnarks on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Is, Big fan. Is a must follow because they they do the Lord's work in grocery parking lots all over the country. And I never <laughs> I never thought that would be a sentence we'd have to say, but God bless Cartnarks. All right. Before you go, I'm sure everybody knows already, but where's, where can they find all your work? Uh, wherever you want to go. Um, we, we format our show in such a way that if you want to watch on YouTube, you just go search Late Kick. If you're a podcast guy or girl, listen on podcast. You're not really going to miss anything. We have some bells and whistles visually, but you don't miss anything if you're listening on podcast. So it's Late Kick with Josh Pate, and uh, all the socials are the same. It's at Late Kick Josh. And like I said a little while ago, if I explain our show to someone who's never seen it, it's college football year-round, but it's it's the kind of college football content that you were probably seeking if you're a hardcore fan, and you're just not finding many other places. That's the way we try and deliver. We try and deliver something you're not getting anywhere else. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.